0: Hey what is happening Cornerstone how are we doing? Man it's good to see you. So good to see you guys. If you're in Scottsdale, Santan thank you so much for what you're doing out there for being a part of this with us. If you're watching online right now or you're at the five o'clock service dude thanks for coming for being a part of what God is doing at Cornerstone. It is crazy to think about what's happening right now in the valley Um, and it's so cool to be a part of it so thank you guys for doing this with us. Um, I get the privilege today to walk us through some, something that I, I think, and, and maybe this is just me, so help me with this, I feel like as, as a church, just as really as a nation, and, and maybe it's just me being reflective on myself, I, I feel like we're not changing the world yet. Like, I feel like God wants to do something big, and we're at that speed bump of, man, things are about to get nuts, but we haven't, like, ran over it yet, you know what I mean, and picked up speed, and I, th- this is just my opinion, but I, I honestly think that that's mainly because we're perfectly content with doing what we're doing, knowing that we can do it without God's help. And when we get stuck in a spot like that, it's, it's crazy because everything that we're doing, we could do really. And if God shows up, it's great. But if he doesn't, we can still take care of it because it's nothing crazy yet. Something nuts happens when we step into a place where if God doesn't show up, you look ridiculous. <laughs> um, something crazy happens when we go out on a limb and we, we step out of what's normal and we step into fear of the unknown. There's something exhilarating about not knowing what's going on and not having control and knowing that if God doesn't show up, man, you're doomed. <laughs> there's something crazy about that. I think the thing that keeps us from that is fear. And I think fear's a good thing, so don't get me wrong, I think fear, we should be afraid of some things. I know in like Brazil or like in the rainforest, there's tarantulas that are like the size of dinner plates. Um, you should be afraid of those, that's, that's crazy. I know in India, the, the banded king cobra, it gets over 18 feet long. That's an 18-foot poisonous snake. That's a snake about the size of a school bus that can kill you. You should be afraid of that. That's terrifying. I know that there's some things that we're afraid of that we probably shouldn't. Like I, I, know, those, I know some grown men that are, man, spiders like this big. <laughs> These dudes bench press a house and they walk outside and see a little bitty tiny spider and they're screaming levels like Justin Bieber hadn't heard before just yelling, top of their lungs. I was talking to a friend that they were like, yeah, Tim, I'm, I'm scared of sharks. It's like, we live in Arizona. <laughs> uh, and don't, don't get me wrong, I've seen all three episodes of Sharknado, and I know four's coming out and I can't wait. But I'm like, unless like a typhoon hits and sharks are falling from the sky, you got nothing to worry about. Uh, I know that Arizona has no natural disasters, like as, as a state, but I know driving here, we hit our first haboob scared me to death. Dude, I just watched The Mummy and I was like, man, I know what's next, (laughs) it's like a wall of death, and then it's the apocalypse and then I'm going home, (laughs) Jesus. Um, Terrifying, there's things that we should be afraid of, and then there's a lot of things that we fear that we really, man, we shouldn't be afraid of that. My my goal for us today is to walk through a passage of scripture and, and maybe meet somebody that most of you have known or you've met before through the word, or maybe somebody you haven't and I wanna introduce them to you. That actually I think was terrified I think the guy that we're gonna read about this morning probably was just man beside himself with fear and yet God did something crazy cool through him so if if you've got a Bible go with me to, to Judges chapter 7 we're gonna gonna look at the life of this guy named Gideon because I think he's a great example of being afraid and doing something in spite of fear and that that's huge starting in Judges chapter 7 and just real quick, before we dive in, just as a disclaimer, if you are a type A type of person, which means you like things structured and in order and it needs to be in sequence, um, or if you're sitting next to somebody who's a type A type person, grab the pencils and sharp stuff around you and put that in your pocket real quick, because I'm gonna drive you nuts for the next 30 minutes. This is not a type A friendly message, and I apologize for that, it's just I'm the, whatever type is the opposite of type A, that's me, I'm a type Z. I, I don't know, it's just how I'm built. We're going to take the story of Gideon and instead of walking through it like a normal person, we're going to start at the end and walk backwards. <laughs> Mainly because I thought it would be fun, but really, really because I think it's more powerful. Because if we start at the end of this part of his life and then we get back to where we get introduced to Gideon, I think it will help us understand, one, what fear looks like, and then two, how to deal with fear when it comes into our world. So we're going to start at the end of this part of Gideon's life. So Judges chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 19. So read this with me. It starts with, well, it ends with this. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And just so you know, the middle watch was the second of three watches. There were three that would happen through the night, and these were guard changes. The middle watch would have took place probably about 10 o'clock. So this is 10 o'clock at night, dark, and this, this, this is when the second watch would happen. So Gideon and about a hundred men go to camp at about the middle of the the second watch, just as the guards had changed. They blew their trumpets and they broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand, holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth towards Zerah as far as the border of Abel Mahala near Taba. Get this in your, in your head because you all need to see this because this is the best motion picture that hasn't made it past Veggie Tales. This is a crazy cool moment in history. You've got the Midianite army and they've come in and they're about to attack the Israelites. So you've got this, this vast army that's come in and they've just traveled a pretty decent distance. And most likely they're tired. I mean, they've just ridden camels. They've just walked. They didn't have Nike Air, so they've got like sandal sores. They're, they're just, they're, their rear ends are probably sore from riding on a camel. They're, they're tired. They, they just walked in, and now they're, they're battle ready. Like they they're get that second burst of energy. They've got that ad- adrenaline dump, and they're like going to go fight. And they're like, oh, not yet. So they're back at camp, and you've got, and men, you know this, when we're circled up together, we always one-up each other. So you've got this guy over here who's like, my last battle, I killed 42 people. And then this other guy's like, I killed 46. And those those conversations are going on. And then you've got this little kid probably over here in this corner who's never been in a battle. This is his first fight. He's already wet himself twice, and the fight hadn't even started yet. He's terrified. And he's sitting there, and he's like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) I hope somebody falls on my sword. And he's just scared to death. And so you probably have an older seasoned veteran fighter who's taking him under his wing. He's like, buck up, son. This is what will happen. They'll come in from the west. The sun will be shining, and you'll stab them, and you'll thrust your sword into it. And he's giving them everything just trying to help him out. Have some campfires going on because it's 10 o'clock at night. You have a group that, man, they were ready to fight, and now they're in their tents. Wondering if is tomorrow the day, tomorrow when we go to battle. Campfires, some tents, probably some starlights, because I mean this is the outdoors, so, so probably some stars, maybe in a full moon, so it's a little bit bright. And then all of a sudden out of the middle of the nowhere, you hear these crashes of these pots being broken, and you see these torches lit up all around you, and you hear this trumpet. That's not a horrible trumpet. You hear this trumpet make a noise. And you hear this, these voices just start screaming out, for the Lord and for Gideon. And you're terrified. You've been in that moment, right, where you're just about to go to sleep. And then something happens, and it scares the fool out of you? (laughs) My first year here, we took a group of high school students to Africa. Um, We we go to Kenya every year, and we took, oh my gosh, we took this group of high school students, and and we stayed in the dorm with the the Kenyan boys. And and so we're at this orphanage, and we're sleeping in this dorm that's full of of these these Kenyans that range everywhere from, like, maybe birth to, you know, like, early, maybe late teens. And we're sleeping in this room, and it's me, and I've got about four of our high school guys from Cornerstone with us in the room. Uh, And I'll never forget this, man. It's totally dark. I don't know what time it was. I know it was after midnight, and it wasn't 4 a.m., because at 4 a.m. they wake up, and that's when their day starts, which is a ridiculous idea, but that's just how they do life. So I know it wasn't 4 because the lady hadn't come in and woke us up yet, and I know it was after midnight because it had been a long day. And it was one of those days, and I don't know if you do this, where your brain doesn't shut off. And you're so flipping tired, but you can't go to sleep because you're constantly thinking about everything that you have to do. Oh, I hate that. I'm I'm laying there, and I'm thinking in my head, man, we have this to do tomorrow. We've got VBS to get ready for. I've got these four guys that are terrified of what's going on. They they don't know what's happening. We're jet lagged because it's like a 15 million hour flight. I'm so tired. I'm sore. Why did I sign up for this? I could be at home right now, like watching TV. This is what was I thinking. And I'm sitting there in that moment, like trying to get ready trying to, to psych myself up, trying to, to go to sleep honestly. And I was just about to drift off. A- and you're in bunk beds, by the way, with mosquito nets over you, hole in the wall that's a window but with no glass. So I've got a window over here and it's letting some light shine in so you can kind of see what's happening. This kid from Kenya sits straight up in his bed and just starts screaming at the top of his lungs, in Swahili. I don't speak Swahili. He talks in his sleep. They knew that, but they didn't bother to tell us. (laughs) It scared the fool out of me. Terrified. Five, five, I don't know, ten seconds of this kid just sitting straight up in his bed, just speaking Swahili at the top of his lungs, and then he laid back down. Everyone from our church, those four or five guys from Cornerstone, all looked at me and they're like, Tim, what do we do? I was like, don't go to sleep. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Scared to death. That's the moment that these guys are in. They're terrified, man. They're just about to go to sleep. They hear this crazy loud crash. They hear all this noise. They see all this rumbling around them. They see these torches around their camp. This passage tells us that they get so worked up, so scared, that they're running around just stabbing anything that's moving. (laughs) They're like just cutting everybody up, stabbing, and they're killing their own people. And Gideon gets the victory. It's a crazy story. I, I was reading this, and I was thinking, man, maybe... I don't know, maybe Gideon was, maybe he was like a bad man. <laughs> maybe he was like crazy, crazy, like with a, a switchblade and a knife. And maybe he had like a, a Indiana Jones whip or something. I don't Maybe he was just this crazy soldier. Or, or maybe they just had so many guys. Maybe, maybe this was an easy battle. Maybe the Midianites that they're fighting, maybe there's just like, I don't know, 15, 20 of them. And, and they just came in, you know, kind of being the bullies of the, of the area. And so Gideon's walking up, and it's just a few of them. Go, go backwards with me. Let, let's go back in the story just a little bit. Go, go up just a little bit to verse 12. It says, The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. This battle's not just against the Midianites. They called their friends the Amalekites. So it's the, the Midianite army, the Amalekite army, and then it's everybody else in the valley. <laughs> everybody else in the east has come to fight this battle. And, and the Midianites, just so you know, they were, a cam- they were camel marauders. They, w- they would ride camels and just go through and wreck shop and steal and take everything they could. And it tells us that there were so many of them, they couldn't even count the camels. It looked like sand on the shore. I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes I feel like I'm the only person in the world that loves Jesus. (laughs) I watch the news, and I think, this world has no clue who Jesus is. You walk into your office, and you think there's nobody else where I work that has ever heard of God. Maybe you walk on campus, and no one else in your school has any idea what it means to love Jesus. Maybe it's not that big. Maybe you walk in your house, and you're the only person in your house that loves God. And you're constantly getting made fun of, constantly getting ridiculed, constantly having people just second guess and judge you because you're the only person that loves Jesus. And and it's that feeling of it's me against the rest of the world. (laughs) Can't help but think that's what Gideon and these 300 men were facing. Picture that. Campfires. So many people you can't even count their camels. And there's 300 of you. I, I can't help but think they were terrified. They had to have been scared to death. probably feeling like they were the only ones. I don't know, maybe I'm making that up. (laughs) Maybe these 300 men were, um, maybe these were like the ninjas of the Israelites. Maybe these were the elite, these were the rangers, these were the green berets, these were the marines. These were the jet pilots. These were the best of the best of the best, and they were sent. And these 300, just to make it a fair fight, put 300 against this huge army because if they had more than 300, it just wouldn't be fun. So maybe these 300 were just going to go in and that's all we needed, and maybe that's where it was. Go back with me just a little bit more. Go back to to verse 1 of chapter 7. Let's look at this. Verse 1 says, Early in the morning... Jeroboam, which that's Gideon, and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for you to deliver Midian into their hands. <laughs> Isn't that like God to be like, hey, you got too much. That's the dumbest thing in the world. I don't know much about fighting, but if you're fighting a battle, you don't want anybody to come in and say, hey, there's too many of you. It's going to be too easy. That, that just sounds ridiculous. There's too many of you. In order that Israel may not boast against me... That their own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people: anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So, twenty-two thousand men left, while ten thousand remained. Twenty-two thousand soldiers left. Again, let that sink for just a second. (laughs) You're fixing to go to battle, and God shows up and He says, "You got too much. Yeah, too much resources." And I'm like, God, did you butt dial me? Because I think you have the wrong number. Because <laughs> there is no way I got too much resource. There is no way you're telling me I've got too much of, of anything. And these I can't help but think that they were terrified. You understand that for God to show up, we need to be at a place that we can't handle. If we're in a spot that's too big for us, that's the perfect opportunity for God to show up and show off. Why would he show up if we, if we could handle it ourselves? Why would he be there if wherever we are, is, is, we're capable? He shows up in situations that are too big for us because if he doesn't show up, it doesn't end well. <laughs> I love that about him. Look, keep going with me in this. Look, look in verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men left. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Take them down to the water and I will sift them, um, sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took them in down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. So you picture that? God's like, hey, still too many of you. I realize 22,000 of you just left, but we still got too much going on. So take them down to the river. Let's let them get a drink. Whoever bends their heads down to the water and laps it up like a dog, we don't want them. We want the ones who are gonna cup the water in their hand and bring it up and drink it. Those are the ones we're gonna keep. And I can't help but Gideon walking down to the rivers thinking, oh God, please let everybody pick the water up. Please, (laughs) hey, drink like this. I I can't help but think Gideon is like stacking that as much as he can. Do you do do that when you pray? Man, God, if you would just do this, I would do this. (laughs) That's around this time in October, that's my prayer nonstop, is God, if you'll just do this, man, and let the Dodgers win the World Series again, I promise I will do this for the rest of my life. I'll grow normal hair, I'll I'll do whatever you want. God, I'll do this forever. If you'll just, and evidently I'm not praying right, or God hates the Dodgers, because those things haven't happened since the 80s, but that's still my prayer. I'm still in it. Man, God, if you would just do this, maybe, and and if you read more Gideon's story, you'll see a lot of that. There's a whole lot of, hey God, you want me to do this? Okay, make this happen. If you do this, then I'll know that's what you want, and then I'll do it. God, if you want me to talk to my neighbor, have him bring back the weed eater he borrowed like four years ago. <laughs> Set that conversation up. One, I need it, and then two, I, that, that way I'll know you want me to talk to him. God, you want me to talk to my coworker. Awesome, the, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. When I come back, make that person right there at the door so that when I come out, I know that you want me to talk to them and I promise I'll do it. God, you want me to invite this person to church, man, that, then put them in this, spot. and we, we, I do anyway, we barter with God. If you want me to do this, do this. Verse 5. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap with their tongues like a dog um, from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands in their mouth. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. So the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon set the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300, who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below them in the valley. He went from 32,000 to 10,000. And then God was like, "Ah, that's still too much. I don't want you to get the big head. I want you to see that this is me. Let's go with 300. What is it that, that we're in? And maybe we're in the middle of a battle and maybe it's just standing up and being vocal about who God is at work and not being the Bible thumper vocal, but just being a visible sign of Jesus in that environment. And we're thinking, man, God, if you would just give me more, if I just had more of whatever this is, man, if I was just a better speaker. Oh God, if you would just give me a voice that people would listen to, I would stroll into that office and I would be like, and Jesus said, and I would talk and everybody would would listen and everybody would come and Cornerstone would have to have like 18 campuses because all these people would come. But you just gotta make me a better communicator. I think fear creeps in to those situations. Can I be honest real quick? I'm about to throw up. You know how scary it is to stand up here and have all you looking at me? It's so scary. Don't get close. No. I'm being honest right now. It's terrifying to to walk up here and the pressure of standing on this stage knowing that you expect me to say something that's strong about who God is, that you can walk out of here that will help you understand him better, is terrifying. And I would much rather be out there staring at somebody else doing this. If you let fear grab you and hold you, it keeps you from doing what God's built you to do. And fear keeps you from experiencing life the way that God built you to experience life because you get handcuffed into this existence that never allows the senses to become alive. Because I don't know if you've ever been really afraid, that moment where you're sitting on the edge of your chair and you're like either gonna throw up or something worse, and, and you're you're looking for a bucket because you don't know what's about to happen and you're just terrified. Everything is bright, man. You, you, you hear better. It's like you can see better. Everything comes alive. Your senses are on, on point. And you feel alive. I can't help but think that Gideon right now is terrified. <laughs> but I also can't help but think this dude is, is like feeling like he's worth something. He's feeling that emotion of being alive. He's ready for God to do something. It's nuts. It's nuts. To see, and again, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Gideon is really this crazy bad dude, and I don't know if you do this. If you don't, this is a good way to read the Bible. This will make it more interesting for some of you. Put sound effects in with it when you read. I do this all the time, like mentally when I read about people. Like when a character walks in, like I give them theme music. Um, So like, this is just because I'm special, I guess. I was reading about Gideon. And sabotage is playing in the back of my head. Like, I got Beastie Boys blaring right now. oh, you there's sabotage. Like, that's blasting as Gideon walked in. Because Gideon is this, like, superhero, right? Like, he walks in and he's like, Pow! Hi, I'm Gideon. And he's got this huge G on his chest. And he can roll in because he's Gideon, right? He's in the Bible. He could roll in and people are like, Oh, Gideon. Because he's, he's the man. Go, go backwards with me. Let, let's keep rolling back in this story. Go to chapter 6. Look at verse 15. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. (laughs) It's funny, when God tells us to do something, how quick we can come up with excuses. We're never afraid to give God an excuse, but it seems like we're always afraid to give God obedience. Whoa, God, what what are you doing? You realize that my family, we're the dumbest people in the whole valley. Like, what are you doing with us? And I'm the dumbest one in my family. You want me to do this? Oh, no, hold up. That's a totally wrong number. God, you, you mistexted me. Something happened weird. We should pray about that more. Do you see it? This is Gideon. This is this guy that just a few moments ago is standing with these 300 men and somehow, which to this day i don't know how you convince 300 men to go against an army so vast you can't count it with the dumbest game plan ever torches trumpets and clay pots oh and we're going to scream dude i'm like give me a knife a stick and a goat and i'm going to ride in and at least then i got a chance i'm not going to walk i'm not going to walk around the outside of this with a torch a clay pot and a trumpet And yet somehow this this guy who looked to God when this this story starts and he looks to God and says, dude, you don't understand who I am. My family is totally worthless and I'm the the worst one in my whole family. And again, I don't know what God has placed on you, what it is that you're afraid to do. And and maybe it's just a fear of failure. (laughs) I understand that fear. I'm terrified of not being good enough for God. I'm terrified, terrified of standing up and not doing what God's built me to do, of failing in those moments. Maybe it's not failure. Maybe it's just, maybe you don't feel like God could use you because nobody knows how screwed up you are than you. Nobody knows the stuff that that's the baggage that you're carrying with you like you do. And maybe you're, you're, you're afraid that God won't use you, or you're afraid that maybe God is in heaven with his friends right now looking down, going, watch this, that dude's gonna get messed up. And he's just a, because that's what God does. No. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. Maybe you're one of these people that you're like, Tim, you don't, you don't get it. I'm not, dude, I, I know that God could use anybody, but yet he's gonna use me. I know that my third cousin, twice removed on my mom's side, is way better equipped for this but for some reason God's gonna use me. I get that, and I'm gonna go out, man, I'm ready. I'm ready for God to use me. I'm ready, for to, man, I'm ready to do something crazy for God. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and maybe that's you. Maybe it's just the fear of unknown, this fear of I don't know what to do for the kingdom. I wanna do something for God. I just don't know what. God doesn't talk to me. Like, I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know how to hear God's voice. Let me help you with that fear, because I can, I can settle that in just, just real quick. If you struggle with knowing what God wants from you, Spend time here. I guarantee you, if you spend time in this book and you allow this book to become a part of your life and you pray, you spend time reading this and then spend time on your knees before God, asking him, man, God, show me what you want for my life and you stop trying to convince God of what you want for your life, this book becomes alive. There's a reason that this book is described as living and breathing. There's a reason that this book is not normal literature, that this book was spoken into existence by the breath of God himself, that he spoke this book for us. And I understand that this wasn't written for it or wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And this book, if we spend time in it, comes alive. I guarantee you, you spend time reading this, you spend time on your face in prayer and you never have to wonder what God wants from you. You never have to question what he's telling you to do because the more you read this, the more it makes sense to you and you begin to get desires to go out and to do stuff that's backed up by what you read. You know why I'm on stage right now? It's not because Lynn called me and said, hey, could you speak this Sunday? It's because I know the more I spend time in this book, the more I read, the more I pray, the more I know that this is what God built me to do and the more excuses I give him as to why I can't. The more I feel inadequate because I I don't even, I make up words 90% of the time. I say things that don't even exist, and I say it fast enough that y'all usually don't catch it, and you think, oh, he's really smart. No, I just made that word up. And I, and I sit up here, and I think, God, why would you want me for this? But the more I read this and the more I pray, the more I understand that this is what God's built me for. And the more, the more time you spend in this book, the more time you spend on your face before God, you begin to hear his voice. Keep, keep this going, Let, let's go back a little bit farther. L- look in verse 16. Gideon just said, man, God, you can't use me. I'm the worst, my family's, we're all idiots. Verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. You get that when we follow what God has built us to do, and listen, because this, man, this is so important. When we follow what God has built us to do, when we step out of our comfort zones into that realm of fear, into that unknown, into that sketchy world where our brain is saying, hey, this is probably not a good idea, and God's word is saying, hey, just trust me, you realize you never walk into that alone. God will never put you into a situation that he won't follow you in and won't walk alongside you. And when those scary moments come and you have that moment of fear where you're like, man, I I know this is what God wants me to do, totally doesn't make sense. I can't help but think that Gideon looked at these 300 men and thought, hey, God, 32,000 men with torches and trumpets, that's still a dumb idea, but it's better odds than 300. Could we talk about this? I can't help but think he walked in with those 300 men, scared to death. Because he knew if God didn't show up, it wasn't going to work. My mom used to tell me this all the time, she'd say, hey Tim, work like it depends on you, pray like it depends on God. Whatever it is, man, whatever you're scared to do right now, whatever that thing is that you want to do that God's placed on your heart, that thing that's just eating at you, that you think about nonstop, man, if only somebody would do this, let, let me help, the reason that somebody's not doing it is because it's you and you keep giving God excuses. If only somebody would do this, work like it depends on you, put every ounce of strength you have into it and pray like it depends on God. Put faith in God, knowing that if He doesn't show up, you're going to fail. And I get it. You may look completely ridiculous to the rest of the world. You may walk into whatever that looks like and you may look like an idiot. Or God shows up <laughs> and everything is different because of who you are. I want this place to be different when I'm gone. When I, when I, die or whatever happens and I'm no longer here. I want the world to be different because I'm not a part of it. Not because I want somebody to look and say, wow, that Tim Beale, he was a handsome fellow. I don't want anybody to talk about me. I don't care about that. I have three kids that are growing up that I want this world to be better for than it is right now. I want it to be different and if I stay handcuffed to fear, I'm never gonna step into the unknown and allow God to do something crazy. Let's go back a little bit farther to the beginning of this, verse 11. And honestly, this is where this part of the story really begins. So thanks for staying with me, type A's. <laughs> Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Josiah the Bezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. L- let me help you real quick, because some of you are like, oh, Gideon, he's still, no. Gideon's threshing wheat. He's not a warrior. He's a farmer. And I don't know if you've ever threshed wheat. I haven't, so I looked it up. What you do is you get a pitchfork type thing and you get to a top of a hill and wheat has really two or three parts to it. The heavy stock of the wheat that you actually use for food is heavier than the chafe or the trash part of the wheat that blows away. So what you do is you get to the top of a hill where the wind is going to blow and you pitchfork wheat up into the air and you kind of throw it up into the air. And what you're doing is you're separating the wheat from the trash because what happens is you throw it up into the air, the heavy stock of the wheat that you use falls to the ground, and the wind blows the chafe and everything else away, and it separates it for you so that you have what's left that you can actually use to make food. Gideon's in a wine press. This is a ditch or a trench that's two or three feet deep at least, and he's trying to separate the wheat, and he's doing that because the Midianites have come, and for him to be on the hillside threshing wheat is like throwing a clay pigeon to a sniper. The Midianites are going to walk by and go, idiot, we're killing him first, and they're going to go to that. And Gideon knows it and he's terrified, so he's hiding, working twice as hard to try to get food. Terrified. Verse 12: When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You wanna conquer fear? You wanna get past this and do something big? You wanna do something for the kingdom? You wanna, man, you wanna take that step of faith? Stop seeing yourself the way that you see you and start seeing yourself the way that God sees you. Because I don't think that this verse was just written for Gideon. I think this verse is for us today. Arise, mighty warrior. This is God looking down at heaven, knowing that you could do what he's built you to do, even though you doubt it and second guess him. And he's saying, stand up, dude, you got this because not only are you gonna go, but I'm gonna go with you. You wanna beat fear. Stop seeing yourself the way that you see you. See you the way that God sees you. Forget about who you are, remember whose you are. And it will drastically change the outcome. I wanna give you three things that hopefully will will help with this. Um, One, whatever that is, (laughs) I don't know what God's placed on your heart, whatever that burning sensation is, it's not heartburn that you're trying to figure out, man, what do I do, this is what I need to do for God. Um, You're probably a little bit scared of that, you're afraid, good. Because honestly, you should be terrified. Because if God doesn't show up, you look really dumb. You should be afraid. Whatever that is, man, be afraid. Fear isn't the problem. Being handcuffed to fear is the problem. Be be afraid. That's great. Maybe whatever that is, you're looking at God and you're saying, man, I don't have enough resources. Good. If you had enough resources, you wouldn't need God to show up. You realize that God has unlimited resources. And what he's asking you to do is just be faithful because he's going to be faithful. Maybe you're you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, whatever this is, if I do this, holy cow, I'm totally gonna have to trust God. Like, I'm gonna have to completely 100% rely on God. Good. Honestly, that's probably part of the problem. If God doesn't show up, you look ridiculous, but when God does show up because he's true to his word, because his word is real, because his word is true, it drastically changes the outcome. My my thing for us this morning is simple. Don't Don't let fear control you. Whatever that is that God's placed on you, that he's built you to do, stop letting fear handcuff you back because you are never going to experience life because there's this crazy cool gap. There's this moment that's exhilarating when we step out in fear when we don't have control and there's this gap that's right there that keeps us from experiencing all that God has for us and that gap is, is breached by, by fear. You, you conquer fear, you step into that and you can still be afraid but when you step into that fear, God does crazy things. Forget about who you are today. Remember whose you are. Let me pray for us. God, thank you, man. Thank you for the the fact that men like Gideon even existed. And Jesus, honestly, this had to be the dumbest battle in the history of the world. <laughs> this whole thought of hey, let's break clay pots, blow trumpets, and light torches. Um, that I don't even get where you thought that up, God. That makes no sense at all. And yet you use this, and you use this man who was terrified. Man, to, to completely, drastically change the landscape for his people. So God, for us, some of us in here are scared. Man, we're scared to trust you. Maybe it's with our lives. Maybe it's with our family. Maybe it's with our job. Maybe with whatever it is. God, would you help us to take God-ordained risks that... <laughs> that match up to your word. God, would you allow, man, Would you help us to, to read your word and to spend time in prayer And when we hear from you to step out in faith into whatever those situations are, knowing that you're gonna go with us and that when you look down on us, you don't see us as inadequate, but you see us as a mighty warrior and you don't send us to those places alone. So God, remind us of the fact, not of who we are, but whose we are. Jesus, would you give us the courage today to walk out and to not let fear control us? And God, would you use us to make this place different, not so that we could be glorified, but so that you could be famous. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen.